0: This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton.
1: From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Knowledge at Wharton on Business Radio. Here's your host, Dan Loney. And hello, everybody, and welcome to our show, Knowledge at Wharton, here on Sirius XM 111, Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. Thanks very much for spending part of your day with us. The situation in Spain and the Catalan region is getting more tense by the day. The latest is the Spanish government requiring the ousted leader of Catalonia to present himself and answer questions on his role in the uprisings going on in that region of Spain. To look at the latest, we are joined here in studio by Joao Gomez, who's professor of finance here at the Wharton School, and on the phone by Becker Seguin, who is a professor of Iberian Studies at Johns Hopkins University. Joao, as always, great seeing you. Thanks for coming in. Thank you, Dan. Becker, great to have you back with us. Thank you, sir
2: thanks for inviting me again thank you
1: thank you so I guess i kind of give the people that aren't following this closely kind of an overview As you mentioned there's very much this continuing tension mm-hmm. between the Spanish government and the people in the in Catalonia and the government or the ousted government of Catalonia
0: yes that's right so this is a problem that it it's been there pretty much since the foundation of Spain Catalonia was was sort of a separate region the king of Aragon uh it's always felt different uh it was always an unwilling partner of Spain throughout several um, parts of its history. And I think it felt particularly, at least in, in living memory, particularly oppressed during the Frankist um, regime up until the 70s. Um, there was a sense that uh, Catalonian language was, was being suppressed, Catalonian customs were being eliminated and so on. And I think that festered. And it's really a big part of, of the sense that um, a uniqueness and, and a need for self-affirmation the Catalonians have at this time. This time. Um, I think that's compounded by the crisis, like everything else in Europe, the sense that uh, the economy is not doing well, we have a lot of unemployment, we're actually richer. And in that sense, this movement for independence is a little bit different than others. This is a part of Spain that is actually doing better than the average, and it's somewhat unwilling to share its its wealth with the rest of, of Spain and seeing a lot of its tax uh, income being used to prop up uh, other parts of Spain, as it has in recent years. So there's a a sense of disaffection that is there sort of culturally, historically, that has been magnified in the last um, decade or so. Um, But having said all of that, I think uh, this is really really in in people's minds, but I don't think there is a a large dominant movement in favor of of independence. The polls have been very, you know, at most is in the 40s, maybe will be crossing into the low 50s, but it's not like there's an overwhelming majority Mm -hmm. in favor of independence here. Um, there is, though, uh, what I would say, to, you know, to use strong words, a very pig-headedness uh, leadership in Catalonia that just feels obsessed with this and, and, and just wants to push forward no matter what. And, and that is being sort of opposed on the other side by a very heavy-handed Spanish government, which has reminded Catalonians of why they feel so strongly about it. And I've rarely seen such brinkmanship in, in sort of modern democratic governments. I mean, I, I just it's it's mind blowing to me. And, and who knows how this is going to end.
1: So Becker, with with all that has gone on in the recent weeks, is there, uh, is there room to find common ground, do you think?
2: So I, I totally agree with Joao. I think that the response from the Spanish government has been rather overwhelming. But I do think that there is certainly room for negotiation. I think, for example, if Uh, Mariano Rajoy and the the Spanish National High Court would, for example, drop uh, their charges, their political charges against uh, Catalan President Carlos Puigdemont and uh, the ministers uh, in the Catalan government. I think that there could be certainly negotiations. I think that one of the the main reasons behind this recent push toward toward Catalan independence, especially by by the Catalan elites, uh, is because Catalonia does have a... The, the Spanish constitution does have a strange uh, makeup where they grant certain degrees of autonomy to different regions. And along financial lines, one of the, rent, or one of the, the, the degrees of autonomy that they grant to other regions, let's say the Basque Country and Navarra, Navarre. Uh, is that they grant more fiscal autonomy to those regions than they do to, to Catalonia. They additionally grant of course linguistic and, and cultural autonomy to, to the Basque country. Um, and I think that, that if that negotiation were on the table, it's le- if let's say a rewriting of the Spanish constitution such that Catalonia would at least have a, the same or a similar degree of fiscal autonomy to uh, the Basque country and Navarre. I think that uh, Puigdemont and the, the rest of the pro-independence uh, leaders in Catalonia would be certainly willing to, to negotiate.
0: I, I agree. I agree. I mean, I think at the end of the day, that takes away the, the, the strongest piece of of ammunition, I think the, the Catalonian government has had to convince people to support him um, in these elections and these referendums. I, I completely agree. I think it comes down to that. But I
1: think, this last move, I'm sorry, this last move, though, by Mr. Puigdemont uh, of going to Belgium... <laughs> uh, you know, it's being viewed as well. Is he looking for asylum? You know, is yeah. he looking for support from the EU? Uh, he has basically gone with uh, members of mm-hmm. of his party uh, who were seen as these uh, rebels uh, yes. to to kind of, I guess, try and get any support from the EU at this point, correct? Yes,
0: and to look like a persecuted party that, uh, uh, and and to to you know clearly play to to sort of perceptions in Europe of what the situation really looks like. Uh,
2: Catalonia. Right, and I would also yep. say that if he, if his idea is to go to the EU, of course the EU will uh, always and necessarily back back Spain. Spain is, mm-hmm. of course, the member state. Catalonia has no status in the EU, and if I mean if if you were to try to let's say negotiate to, for membership in the United Nations, I think you would also and er, find a very kind of mm-hmm. a very difficult uh, and challenging response by by the member states there. So I think that his only real legal option is precisely to do that, is precisely to uh, gather international support for some kind of uh, a Catalan state and for that legitimacy, because through international law, that is kind of the only real way that that he has. to... to to gain uh, Catalan independence or gain recognition for Catalan independence. And so he seems to be following the kind of only legal measures that he has available to him. But of course, the, the member states of both the EU and I think the United Nations would be very reticent. Uh, and of course, in the EU's case, I think would be uh, absolutely opposed uh, to admission of Catalonia into the EU. And of course, that would that would kind of uh, quash whatever kind of aspirations he and, uh, and the leadership in Catalonia have.
1: But Becker, there also uh, is the call for snap elections, I think, right before mm-hmm. Christmas. Mm-hmm. Uh, what kind of impact, Becker, do you think those could have?
2: Well, so I think the biggest impact is actually in the renegotiation of the coalition. So currently, uh, uh, the, the PDeCAT, which is the kind of acronym that, that Puigdemont's party has, is in fact a grand coalition between, uh, let's say, the, the center-right and the center-left uh, in Spain. And that coalition is allied with a, a far-left party uh, called the CUP, whose, whose acronym is the CUP and i think that this uh, th- these snap elections have forced the center left party to rethink its association with those Puigdemont and, and the center-right party. The center-left party is now thinking about a kind of grand left-wing coalition for uh, independence that, of course, will still negotiate with the center-right party but would not go uh, in as a coalition. And that is really important in the Spanish electoral system, which kind of privileges these, these kind of big coalitions, and especially big coalitions that have some kind of, of historical precedent. And so they would gain much more votes as a grand coalition or as a larger coalition than if they were to go... Uh, to the elections as a simple party, and just one more thing: that these coalitions must be established within one week, so they have a one-week deadline from, from today. I think roughly one week from today, that they need to be formalized, or else they they have to participate as individual parties, and that's a very important date with uh, with our sights to to the twenty-first of December.
0: I think both parties are both parties to this to this conflict are just gambling on, on things they don't really know. Uh, Rajoy gambled on the, on an election. Um, he's hoping for a different result than the one we had a couple of years ago, uh, and he's hoping he's created a dilemma for the for the separatists in Catalonia. Do we participate in the election that was called by the central government in Madrid, whose authority we did not recognize throughout this entire process, or don't we? That's a very difficult dilemma. Mm-hmm. Um, the dilemma for Rajoy is that they could all participate. They could win the election. They could come up with a reinforced majority because public opinion in Catalonia will just rebel against this sort of heavy-handedness. And so we don't know where we're going to be in December. But I think he's hoping that this, by instilling a division within the pro-independence parties, um, that the result will end up being different and, and this will kind of... Slowly diffuse, um, but it, it's a big risk. But
1: I was going to say, doesn't it, you, it run the greater risk of it actually increasing absolutely. the tension in in six weeks' time? Absolutely, getting to Christmas to to do snap elections until unless trying to find some sort of answer now or at least in the next yes, couple of weeks.
0: Absolutely, I think he has to figure out a way of coming up with an immediate promise of of, of, of some greater autonomy. It could be some key feature of the demands of the Catalonian. Uh, pro independence parties that that just takes away, saps away some of their energy and some of their motivation to to stay together and and sort of engage in this in this pro independence. Otherwise, this is a huge risk, and and, and as you said, I, I think it's just in the exacerbating tensions. And there's just it seems very difficult for me to imagine how the Madrid government comes out reinforced in December.
1: Becker, is is there some sort of nugget there you think that can be offered that that can kind of uh, settle the tensions here? I think
2: that the the real nuggets that can that can be offered are primarily kind of legal and and obviously uh financial. I think the if if the government for example were to uh let's say re- revoke uh, its implicate or its it's application of article 155 which is the article of the Spanish constitution that grants the central government absolute right uh, over any matters uh, pertaining to to the institutions of the state in in Catalonia I think Catalans would see that as at least a step back from from the precipice that that Madrid has been pushing uh pushing their kind of fellow Catalans uh toward so article 155 just to just to uh, do a little bit of summary article 155 allowed the Spanish government to uh basically declare the entire uh, Catalan uh, leadership the the the, par- the parliament uh, uh il- not illegal but to to revoke all of its powers uh they also deposed the the head of the local police force there the Mossos de Esquadra and it, it- in Rajoy's uh, um, kind of in the argument that the government was making that was presented to the Spanish Senate uh, last week, uh, he argued for a complete use of Article 155, which, again, Article 155 is, is effectively like a blank check for the Spanish government to, to control Catalonia. And he decided to use all of those powers when many thought that he would just use, let's say, several of those powers, especially the the, the ability to, to get rid of the Catalan leadership, but that he wouldn't go... Like, Let's say ask for a full-fledged Article 155, as it's called in Spain. And I think if you were to at least tame down uh, the threat uh, of that application, of the application, the full application of that. That article of the constitution. I think that would go a long way toward toward quelling tensions.
0: But it seems like go, I'm sorry. Go ahead, John. I was going to say it's not going to happen. Yeah, <laughs> it's just not going to happen. It's not in Rodrigo's no, instincts. Totally it just it's just not going to happen.
1: Well, I, I mean, in terms of Mr. Puigdemont, uh, with him being in in Brussels right now, if by any chance he would make his way back to Spain, mm-hmm. would he be going immediately on trial?
0: Um, <laughs> Forcefully, yes. Yeah. Uh, un- un- unless yeah. Mariano Rajoy was- changes, is or, or at least the judiciary. I, you know, there's some question about the independence here. Uh, changes is tact, Yes, absolutely, uh, no question. And 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 I think I think Mr. pujiman realized maybe he did before. But there's a big weakness in this entire strategy, which is exactly there's just no way to get international support. There's right. just none. This is a dead end. It runs against the government of Madrid. And it's up to them to decide whether they want to engage in this or not. There's just no international support unless you can escalate this to to some sort of you know obvious civil unrest that people just just realize that you know that we need some outside intervention. That's his only possibility, and that's what he's playing for, uh, which sounds you know, crazy to me. But but they're just a dead end here. There's just no place to go at the moment, um, and that's what he's going to Brussels to try to to sort of work around. And again, it's not going to do anything but
1: and becker i mean this is something that the 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 members of the eu they don't want to have anything to do with this right now they want to just let this go off i mean certainly they're already dealing with the brexit certainly we've had a a run of nationalism in europe as you know we've also had here in the united states so seemingly it's the last thing that the eu and its members want to do is talk about you know supporting catalan uh, Catalonia in this, and this this false view uh, of potentially, I guess, Catalonia becoming a member of the EU some point down the road.
2: Yeah, absolutely. The EU has issued, I, I, let's say, in the in the first uh, couple of days following from the October first referendum, the EU is rather silent, but. Basically, beginning on the Wednesday after the Sunday referendum on October 1st, the EU and President Juncker made continuous statements that they did not want to uh, see these tensions escalate, but at the same time that they were absolutely on board with with the Spanish Mm -hmm. government, and that, in fact, that they thought uh, that the Spanish government's use of force Though questionable, uh, questionable, they did not declare it any kind of illegal, and they were not. They were certainly not, let's say, uh, alarmed by it. And let me just also say that the Spanish government has really been kind of pushing the hand uh, of the of the the EU's uh, kind of financial arm by the Europe the, Euro, the Eurozone. Right. So today, this morning, the the Central Bank of Spain issued some really. Uh, dim uh, uh, forecasts, uh, financial forecasts of Spain, saying that Spain could lose up to 2.5% of GDP between uh, the end of 2017 and 2019. And of course, 2.5% of GDP in Spain would be $27 billion uh, if tensions were to continue, not even if Catalonia were to declare or were to go through with independence, which, of course, would be would imply much, much graver losses. But even if tensions were to continue through 2019, Spain would lose a huge part of GDP. And, of course, that is very important uh, for the for the European Union. And it signals to the European Union that that really they need to stand behind Spain, because, of course, if Spain loses 2.5 percent of GDP, they yeah. can't pay off pay off their debt.
0: I, I would just want to go back to the, the European Union which I think is an important point. There's no way Spain will have a veto on this and there's no way Spain for generations will yeah. allow Catalonia to join the EU or the Euro. There's no way because they understand the moment they do independence is final. There's just no way and and, and I think there's just no end for the, no end game for the Catalonian government at this stage. I, I think it's just it's a poorly thought out as I said, it just it makes no sense. I think it's one sen- it's one thing to say we have some reasons to claim for more autonomy, but independence it's just silly to
1: So assume. then what do you expect to happen then with the snap elections in December? Um, <laughs> I said it was a gamble. I I, I I don't know. Because it seems like we're headed yes. that way. It doesn't seem I like think, Mr. Puigdemont is going gonna, is gonna to pull this back in any way, shape, or form. I am
0: afraid that um, the result will be pretty similar to what it was a couple years ago. In fact, it will probably be more. Uh, I am afraid that the next six weeks with, with the Article 155 in place, basically Madrid running, Catalonia, I think the tensions will only rise. I think the ultimate result of the election is, I'm afraid, it will be the same. But... I'm hopeful that the government that will come out of that, which will not include Mr. Pujimon, I hope, will be slightly more, uh, will be more informed by this episode, and will be slightly more amenable to a compromise. Backer? That's the best I can hope for.
1: Yeah.
2: Becker? Yeah, I, to- I, to- I totally agree. I think that the the results of the, the 21st of December elections, I think, are going to be very similar and with, a, let's say, a, a slight uh, uh, over 50% majority for pro-independence movement. But let's also remember that even above 50% in the Catalan parliament does not mean that that is 50% of the popular vote. And that is a, that is a major problem that the pro-independence movement has had with respect to gaining uh, some idea of legitimacy. For not only their referendum, but their push over the past two years toward independence. And I think that that's very key. If the, the let's say, if these 21st of December elections result in over 50% of the popular vote uh supporting independence, then they will be seen at least within Catalonia as having a much more legitimate mandate toward or to push toward independence, and then of course t- tensions could could really uh, uh-huh. skyrocket.
1: Unfortunately, what's interesting to me, and in, in uh, following the world of sports as I do, <laughs> is that this issue is playing out in the sporting venues. In Spain and mm-hmm. Catalonia right now, when you're talking about uh, two uh, of the most important uh, soccer clubs, football clubs in the yeah. world with Real Madrid and Barcelona, and you have players on both sides that have vested interest in this story. Joao? Sure. Sure.
0: So one of the things that happened this weekend was Real Madrid, the, the, probably the most famous Spanish team, was uh, the team from Madrid, was playing at Girona, which is the place where Mr. Puigdemont comes from. And um, this really highlighted the, how difficult it's going to be to rebuild some sense of unity in Spain. I, I, the people from S- Madrid were really afraid of working and going and seeing the game in Girona. They were really afraid. They just have this view that somehow in Catalonia they're all uh, up in arms and against the rest of Spain and 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 it's it's I think obviously the same sentiment exists in catalina. there's some sense that you know Spain has oppressed us or whatever but but it's going to be really hard to rebuild this after these tensions and and I think people people means these these two leaderships on both sides have really underestimated the mass they've created um that makes me really I and I think that that we can really illustrate it I think the how difficult it's going to be
2: Becker. Yeah, I remember the uh, famous uh, scene when Gerard Piqué, the the central defender uh, for the Spanish national team and for for Barcelona. Uh, cast his vote in the October 1st referendum, and that, of course, created an uproar. But Piquet, I think, had, a, had an actually a sensible opinion, which is to say that I'm going to cast my vote in this referendum because I believe that some kind of referendum is or should be legitimate, but at the same time, I'm going to play for the Spanish national team, which he did several days later, yeah. uh, because I, I, I'm, I believe in a part of Spain, but that doesn't take away from the fact that I think that, or that this is, of course, that Piquet thinks that uh, the referendum should be, or there should be, a viable option for a legitimate, let's say, tacted referendum between the governments of uh, of Catalonia and Spain, as we saw with Scotland a few years ago, and as we saw in the 1990s with with Quebec.
1: So, mm-hmm. are so are the people of Catalonia in, in this case, Becker? Are they kind of caught in the middle between these two sides fighting it out? And and obviously, as you said, there are there are people that are either supporting or not on both sides of this. It feels like we're in another situation where the people of this region are kind of caught in the middle.
2: There, that is absolutely true. There are lots of people caught in the middle. And I think that it's even the referendum, which, of course, had a yes or a no vote to it, really doesn't explain the or really doesn't capture the plurality of opinion and sentiment there is is in Catalonia. Of course, there is certainly uh, this idea in Catalonia that the Spanish government and this idea that I would say is not entirely illegitimate that the Spanish government uh, uh, still has, let's say, some vestiges uh, of Francoism to it. Of course, there are many... important uh, members within certain parties that have ties, historical ties through their family to Francoism. But that, does, of course, doesn't necessarily mean that the Spanish central state is Francoist. And at the same time, there are lots of people in, in Catalonia, uh, especially those who support, let's say, the, the the Ciudadanos party, which is a kind of new party that exploded onto the scenes several years ago, that are even more fervently anti-Catalan independence than the conservative Partido Popular. And that, of course, people don't really, don't really get a sense of that when they just see people supporting a yes or supporting a no vote in, in the referendum. Mm-hmm.
1: What about the bu- the businesses that that are in Catalonia and, and the impact that they're feeling from this, Becker?
2: So, so far, I think I've I read statistics that there have been around 1,500 businesses that, now let me be clear, that have moved their headquarters away from Barcelona. Now, Many people have read that as P, as these businesses moving their entire operation out of Barcelona. And I think that's a, a complete misreading of the situation. But nevertheless, these businesses are obviously. Kind of uh, uh, wary of uh, what these tensions might mean uh, economically in, in the short and medium term, but nevertheless, these businesses have only really moved their uh, their headquarters. They have not moved their operations. They have not moved their investments. And so, I think that there's a little bit of, of let's say, uh, uh, collective fear mongering about the, the Catalan uh, uh, economic situation, and especially, of course, like I mentioned earlier, by the Spanish Central Bank, which has prognosticated yeah. kind of the most extreme version. Of what might happen between uh, right now and, and 2019 in terms of the Spanish GDP, and I just don't think that that is entirely the case. I think that that most businesses have actually not operated, let's say, uh, with those extreme tactics that. That uh, would be wished by by the Spanish, Spanish uh, Central Bank, but have been have expressed some certainly some some worry about the situation there.
1: Well, I, and I found it interesting, and I'll uh, I let you comment on because from the reports, banks were the first ones mm-hmm. to move their headquarters out of sure. out of Barcelona.
0: Yeah, as as um, you know, you don't want to moving headquarters, as you say, it's as, as Becker said, is not like moving operations. It's very easy to do. It's the same country right now. It's the same country. It's very easy. Right. Uh, so I wouldn't want to read too much into that. There's also some of these banks that are pretty close ties with with the central government of Spain. So there's some, you know, it's relatively easy to convince them <laughs> that this is a good time to signal something. Um, but um, having said that, um, th- these businesses, I think, you know, they don't have to be passive citizens. I think this is the one place where you would expect a lot of these people to just get behind the government in, in Catalonia and say, look, you, you're committing suicide, you're committing economic suicide, you just can't continue down this path. And and I think some of it in Madrid, too, you know, it just I don't think they have to be just waiting for a big political event. And then we adjust and, and we. Bear. I, I think and that's been the way it's gone so far. But I, yeah. I think because, move, you know, this thing has gone so fast. But I think you'd expect to see a lot more economic sense coming into play in the coming months. It, I would it, hope.
1: In a lot of these situations, you end up thinking that there is some sort of light at the end of the tunnel mm-hmm. for one of the parties involved. On the case of Mr. Puccimon, though, and from what both of you <laughs> said, there does not appear to be any light no. anywhere in any tunnel in no. this situation. I, I yes, I, I say there's absolutely none. Becker,
2: yeah, I, I do I agree. I think that. I think that in, at the end of the day what we're going to see is we're going to see that the Catalan independence movement uh, will, be, will be forced to back down. Now, I think this force, of course, is going to be uh, peaceful, and I don't think that there's going to be any kind of uh, military intervention. But, of course, there's always the threat of that. And I think that um, that aspect uh, to Article 155 is really what people in Catalonia find very insulting and very, um, very threatening, obviously.
1: Great to have you both with us. Becker, thank you for your time. All the best. Thanks for having me. Thank you again. Uh, Joao, great as always to see you. Thanks for coming in good. Really appreciate it. Joao Gomes, uh, professor of finance here at the Wharton School, and also joining us on the phone, Becker Sagin, who's a professor of Iberian Studies at Johns Hopkins University in Baltimore, Maryland. Sirius XM 111, business radio, powered by the Wharton School.
0: For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit
2: knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.